Hi everyone, welcome to the Horses Ask the Vet Live Great Beginnings Foaling and Newborn Care. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital editor of thehorses.com. Um, thank you for tuning in and joining us. Tonight, our event is brought to you by exclusively equine.com, which is the official store of the horse magazine and the horse.com. You can check that out and look at all the great books and products that we have on that site. We're joined tonight by our experts, Dr. Mary Rose Parody and Carlos Gradil. Uh, Dr. Parody is from Tufts University and is a board-certified uh, internal medicine specialist. Dr. Parody, can you tell us a little bit about your work with Foles? Sure. Uh, I have uh, worked with Foles. Probably my first uh, work began with Foles when I was in private practice on Long Island and uh, in 1980, and since then, uh, I joined Tufts in 1983 and started the neonatal intensive care unit there in 1985. And so, as you can see, I've been working with these uh, cre small creatures uh, ever since then, and uh, I always look forward to spring because that's the time I'm going to see my favorite patients. <laughs> well, and you you look at you take care of the little babies, but you also have an interest in geriatrics. I do. As I have gotten grayer and grayer, I have uh, uh, become more interested in the older horse as well. And uh, I find that the young horse and the old horse have in common is that the bond that the owners have with them. Uh, both uh, there's a, a real link between the foal and the foal's owner and certainly between the geriatric horse and their owner. Yeah. And then, Dr. Gradil, we have you here with us from the University of Massachusetts, and you, he's board certified in animal reproduction. The first time I called to talk to Dr. Gradil, he had just talked someone through doing a cesarean section on a pig. Uh, Dr. Gradil, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yes, uh, good evening. I, basically, I'm trained across the board in competitive um, reproduction. I was privileged to be trained in different uh, good schools. And um, at the University of Massachusetts, you know, I teach like any faculty, and I do research mostly related to markers of fertility in stallions. And as well, um, I do extension service, and I consult with uh, local zoos and do wildlife as well. Uh, that's basically uh, my full-time job during the breeding season. I just try to keep my head above water <laughs> because it gets busy around here. Yeah, this is a, is a very, very busy time of year f uh, for vets. And I we appreciate you being here to talk with us tonight about this topic. I know I love baby horses. It's been 10 years since I've raised one of my own, um, but it's such a neat experience to go through if you have um, bred a baby and have done so responsibly. We have received hundreds of questions, as we always do, from our audience, and we're going to get started on those. I'm going to let everyone know that as you're listening live, you can enter your questions, if you have any additional questions or follow-up questions, to the console on your web browser that's right in front of you. And if we have time, we'll get to some of those questions as well. We're going to be covering a lot. We're very, very fortunate to have Dr. Gradil, who is a reproductive specialist, and he is kind of the equivalent of an OBGYN uh, in the human medical field. Uh, and then we have Dr. Parody, who is our neonatologist or that pediatrician who sees the baby right after they're born. So we get to cover this 
time when babies are coming into the world. In this case, we're talking about baby horses. So I want to start <laughs> with Dr. Parody, and I, we have a question from Megan in Alabama. And Megan wants to know what you would recommend having in your standard foaling kit. Well, uh, obviously, Megan wants to be prepared when her foal comes. And generally, in a foaling kit uh, on, the, on the farm, I would have... Uh, a large stack of nice clean towels because you're going to want to uh, dry the baby off and stimulate the baby by rubbing it. Uh, you would like to have a pair of scissors uh, just in case the placenta uh, doesn't rupture and you need to open it up to have the baby come out. And the placenta can be very tough to just tear. So scissors are important. You would like to have something such as a chlorhexidine or a 2% betadine solution to help to disinfect the umbilicus after the baby is born. So those are probably the most important things. On the side, uh, you may include something that's called umbilical tape. Uh, I don't recommend tying off the umbilicus unless there's excessive bleeding because that can trap bacteria in there. But if it is a lot of bleeding, then the tape, the the umbilical tape is important to have. And some people will add a fleet enema uh, to their uh, foaling kit just in case the foal has trouble passing its meconium or the first fecal material. Okay. And Dr. Gradil, do you have anything that you would add to that kit? Yes, I would. I mean, Dr. Perdi said it's quite extensive, but I certainly would keep, um, make sure you have a clock uh, because keep your timing and actually a falling timesheet is very important to see indeed when you need to intervene or when you need to call for help. Um, would be a very good idea to have like a placenta bag because um, when the placenta is delivered within three hours after the birth, uh, would be a nice idea to have it to make sure the veterinarian checks it, just make sure it's complete. And then if everything goes well, maybe you can pull a list of names uh, for the fall or the filly um, so you can choose which names fit the best. <laughs> That's an important, important part of getting that baby off to a good start. <laughs> true, true. And Dr. Gradil, I want to follow up with uh, that question and ask about the timetable because you said that you would have a clock. How do you track okay. the timing of, of that falling? Sure. So. You can actually divide the falling in, in three stages. Um, the first stage is about between one to six hours, and the mare gets uncomfortable, goes up and down, she can sweat, and it's because the oxytocin in the uterus starts contracting, and mama will feel that. And then um, when the water breaks, basically the mare goes into the second stage, and then that second stage is, should be around less than 30 minutes. So the fall should be born less than 30 minutes. And then the third stage means that the, she needs to pass the placenta within three hours. And, of course, the fall needs to get up and nurse within those uh, timetable. And I'm sure Dr. Perdi will discuss about that as well. So that's the time that I'll keep in mind, you know, one to six hours and then less than 30 minutes once, once the water breaks and then three hours for the placenta to be delivered. Okay. And then, so Dr. Parody, once the baby is born and breathing, what timetable should that foal follow to stand and nurse? The, the foal has a real strict timetable as well, and 
And though I'm flexible in a lot of things, I'm very strict about the timetable. So the foal should, within an hour, uh, within a minute of being born, should be able to to sit on its sternum. So if you see your foal laying flat after it's born, immediately after it's born and not responsive, then you have uh, a problem that needs to be uh, uh, have veterinary intervention. If uh, so, the baby should be sternal within a minute. You should start to see them moving their tongue and developing a suckle reflux within 10 minutes. They should be attempting to stand within 30 minutes. They should be standing within 60 minutes. And they should actually be latched on to the udder or the teat and nursing by 90 minutes. And anything that is out of that timetable is, should be considered abnormal and that you should get your vet on the way. Okay. And Dr. Gradil, we have a question for you from Kelsey in Iowa. And Kelsey wants to know, wants to back up to before foaling starts. And she wants some recommendations on vaccinating and deworming the broodmare prior to birth of the foal. What recommendations do you make? Well, at the top of the list should be equine um, renonomonitis, which is basically the leading cause of abortion worldwide. So mares need to be vaccinated um, at three, five, seven, and nine months with a killed vaccine. So that's a must. Otherwise, they will abort. <laughs> and then, of course, the horse flu, equine influenza. Uh, usually, I try to give the injections on the last four or six weeks before the mare uh, falls because you can increase the level of antibodies in the colostrum, so which are very important for the fall. Um, another one on the list, is, of course, is tetanus. And then, of course, rabies needs to be on board. And if someone is falling the mare late in the season, um, close to late spring, early summer, then you may consider to give an Eastern, Western, and West Nile virus um, uh, injection because it's a close to the vector-borne season for, this, for these infectious diseases. So that's for the um, vaccines. Uh, for the deworming, uh, usually I do not try to deworm before uh, 60 days uh, post-breeding, and I do not deworm on the last few weeks. But once the fall is born, um, soon after parturition, I would like to deworm. And I don't know if Dr. Mary Rose could comment on that. Apparently, you'll decrease the fall heat diarrhea because you decrease the load of small strongyls. And then uh, deworm again at six to eight weeks and then at the time uh, of weaning. And I would do it, you know, in sync with the mare. That's kind of the protocol that I would use. Uh, uh, I agree with you. Uh, I probably wouldn't. You don't deworm the foal right after birth, obviously. It's just the mare. No, no, it's it's yeah. just the mare. Yes. And yes. then the the foal at uh, six to eight weeks, and then at weaning, and that would be fine. Yeah, I and, agree and with most, that. And most most dewormers are are kind of safe, but if you're going to deworm, you make sure you read, you know, the labels to make sure that they indeed safe. You know, ivermectin is safe, and there's other other products on the market. But I would always read the labels to make sure you have the right dose, and um, and you are working with safe uh, drugs for gestation mares. Okay. Well, Dr. Parody, you mentioned that it's important for that baby to be up and suckling. Um, was it within the first 90 minutes? 90 minutes, yes. yes. And Dr. Gradil has talked about 
vaccinating and building the mayor's immunity, and he also mentioned colostrum. So, Dr. Parody, could you explain to us a little bit about passive transfer of immunity from the mare to foal and why that's so crucial in horses? Yes. Uh, When a human baby is born, they've already received antibodies from their mother while they were in the uterus. But our our foals, uh, the placenta is different from the human, and the large antibodies cannot cross the placenta into the foal. So the foal is born without any antibodies against the bacteria that it's going to meet in the environment. And so the the term passive transfer of immunity uh, refers to the... uh, the foal ingesting high-quality colostrum for the dam, and the colostrum is the first milk that the mare makes, and it's full of antibodies. So she's taken antibodies from her bloodstream, put it into that colostrum, so the foal nurses it and then absorbs those through the intestine and is protected against bacteria in the environment. Now, there are several reasons why a foal might not get enough antibodies, and when they don't, we call that failure of passive transfer. And um, the first reason that they may not get enough antibody is that uh, the mare, before giving birth, may have leaked milk or colostrum for a long period of time. And the mares only make colostrum once. So if they leak it out before the baby is born and has a chance to nurse, then the foal probably will get up and nurse and just get plain milk that doesn't have the antibodies in it. And so that would be the most serious. So if you have a mare that's leaking colostrum, that's a high-risk situation. Other reasons that a foal may not get it would be uh, if they have a problem at birth that causes them to not follow the timetable, so they may be weak and don't stand at 90, stand and suckle at 90 minutes. So those babies would also be at high risk for failure passive transfer. And we have a question that's come in from our live audience. Christina in Fulton, Missouri, wants to know what can be done for the foal who refuses to nurse. And I would add my own question to that. What would cause the foal to not nurse? Um, Dr. Parody, do you want to Yes. Uh, sometimes uh, foals, uh, if they've had... Uh, something going on before they're born, let's say their placenta starts to separate so that they don't get oxygen from the placenta and they're deprived of oxygen or have a bit of asphyxiation, those foals can actually be born with some um, what we call dummy foals or uh, neonatal encephalopathy. So they don't develop a good suckle reflex and so they may not actually get up and nurse, or they may get up, but they might not be able to find the teat and may not be able to curl their tongues. And these babies can be as simple as that, which obviously isn't that simple, but or they can get to the point where they seizure, and so they can have neurologic problems that prevent them from that nursing. So um, that might be a, a, a reason that a baby wouldn't nurse. And so how do you get those babies to nurse, or are there, other, or are there other options for getting? If, if the baby uh, looks like it's not nursing by 90 minutes, then the best thing to do is call your veterinarian, have your veterinarian come out right away 
they can't wait three hours. They need to be there soon because the baby needs to absorb that as quickly as possible. And I, I would go out and actually milk out the colostrum from the mare and pass a stomach tube into the foal and give that directly into the stomach. And uh, some people have tried to uh, bottle feed babies, but if they're not able to suckle from the mom, a lot of times they can't suckle from a bottle either. And so you just need to get that in through a nasogastric tube and your vet is the best person to do that. Okay. Dr. Gradil, we have a question that came in from Micah with uh, Sovereign Arabians in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Micah is asking whether or not it matters if a foal is born in a paddock, pasture, or stall. Do you have any preferences? I, I do. <laughs> if you have access to a pasture, you know, paddock, and the the key word here is monitoring. So I would rather have the mare um, fall outside, uh, especially down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, if they have a shelter, you know. Um, then because they have good footing and uh, risk of disease is less. And, of course, if this is a high-risk pregnancy mare or there's uh, other history in the past that they need immediate assistance, then you can use a 14 by 16 um, box stall that has been prepared. But sometimes even those, you know, they are very slippery and sometimes the mare may be caught against uh, the wall and um, may have difficulties. So my preference would be, you know, like Mother Nature, you know, the horses 80% fall at night and they drop the fall, and then within an hour or two, they just keep going. Um, so that would be my preference. I know my mare had both her foals outside. She did not want to have them inside her stall, no matter how nice we made it for her. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Parody, do you have any comments on uh, that? I, uh, you know, in the best of all worlds, I'd say I, I totally agree with Dr. Gridell, uh for the reasons he stated. Uh, often, though, it, it, it's difficult. You'd have to have monitoring, as he said, is the most important thing. I think you need to be there at the birth of the the foal because things happen so quickly. And so uh, if you can do it out in a paddock and be outside, that's fine. But in the northeast where it's cold and there's snow on the ground, I know I would be able to stay awake better if I was in a warm stall and could watch the mare as opposed <laughs> to being out in the snowdrift. So it would depend on the situation where you're at. Okay. Um, so thinking about human comfort as well as the mare's comfort. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Dr. Gradil, we have a question from Terry in Ohio. And Terry wants to know how long after you see the hooves emerge from uh, the mare so the hooves of the, the foal from the mare and the nose, um, how long after that should you wait before you get involved and help pull the baby out? And if you do need to help pull the baby out, how do you do that? Is it in rhythm with contractions? If the mare is not contracting, can you cause damage to the mare or foal? What is your advice in this kind of situation when things aren't going quite right? Well, the, the second stage, which is the stage of the expulsion, is can happen within 5 to 30 minutes. You know, if he goes above 30 minutes, there's obviously a problem. So if you see a mare contracting, you know, with abdominal press and there's no progress, and sometimes the shoulders get stuck, then indeed, you know, you can try uh, to pull 
Uh, but you have to be patient. You pull. You try to synchronize uh, pulling with the uh, contractions of the mom. And if you can alternate when you pull on the legs uh, one at a time, and then if the man is standing, the idea is to pull out and then down, so just kind of follow the curvature of the um, the pelvis. Or if the mare is down, you basically pull out and then pull down uh, towards the hocks. And uh, but you have to be patient. And then if the amniol, which is this whitish membrane, still covers you know the head of the fall, usually they uh, themselves when they start moving they will tear that. Then maybe you should tear that and make sure you you clean all the secretions around the nose and so forth. So that will be my recommendation. So 30 minutes will be the max, but it can happen, you know, sometimes the mare can um, uh, stand up suddenly and, you know, she could deliver the, the fall very quickly. Okay. Um, we have another question that I'm going to go ahead and give to Dr. Parody, and it's from Holly in Illinois. And Holly wants to know, because she's having her first full, it's a first-time mom, it's a Clydesdale mare who's a three-year-old, and they want to know immediately after the birth of the foal, is there anything that they should do for the baby and also for the mare? Uh, for the foal, the thing you want to do is first uh, follow, follow the timetable so that baby should come out and be sternal and should be responsive. If you If you tickle its nose or ears, it should shake its head. If you put your hand on its chest right about the elbow, you can count the heart rate, and the baby's heart rate should be greater than 60 at that time. And uh, if the foal is following the, that timetable, then uh, you can go on to uh, take towels and, and uh, stimulate it, ruffle it up, dry it, and if the, plus, if the uh, umbilical has, umbilicus has broken, then I go ahead and dip the, put a little uh, either uh, chlorhexidine or betadine solution in a cup and then uh, thoroughly soak the end of the umbilicus with the antiseptic. And Dr. Gradil, do you have anything that you would recommend for the mayor? Uh, basically, you know, um, could you repeat this question? I, I didn't quite understand the, the, the first... Uh, Okay. Um, it was from Holly, and she's having the their family's first foal with a first-time mom, Clydesdale mare, and she wants to know what she should do immediately after the birth. So is there oh, anything, okay. any special needs of the mare after she's foaled? Yes, I would basically make sure that, you know, it will take up to three hours for her to release the placenta. So some mares get a little colicky. And if she indeed releases the placenta afterwards, my suggestion is that she would save the placenta. And if she's familiar with examining placentas, as far as in my concern as an obstetrician, if I'm called, it's very important to find out if the placenta is complete. So I know if she has any other issues, you know, there's not anything related to pieces left over inside that uterus. Uh, so then I can, you know, either treat the uterus with um, saline solutions or oxytocin and so forth, but saving that placenta in a bag for it to be examined will be very important. Well, uh, Dr. Gradil, um, before the mares uh, um, expel the placenta, do you usually tie it up? So that it's not dragging on the ground. Okay. Or yes. So what you know, if sometimes you know the, the the placenta delivery is very quick. Sometimes it's not. So what I try to do is, you know, as the placenta starts hitting the ground, 
I put a knot, you know, I, and I basically don't put a brick in there or anything like that. I just knot the placenta. So you have gravity helping the placenta to be released. Uh, I wouldn't cut it because you need the weight in there. Um, you can even tie, you know, a little a glove with water just to give a little pull, but that's what I would do. I would not pull on the placenta. I would just tie it up, and eventually she will release the placenta. Okay. Great. And Dr. Grodo, we have another question for you, and this is from Bonnie in North Carolina. And Bonnie had an experience with an otherwise healthy broodmare who had had an uninventful pregnancy but had something go very wrong at foaling time. They lost both the mare and the foal, which would be devastating. And she wants to know what causes dystocia, and is there anything that a horse owner like her can do to help prevent these problems during labor? Well, uh, dystocia, again, uh, fortunately in horses, it only occurs in 1% of the births, which is great. But the causes could be multifactorial. Uh, one could be due to the mom. Uh, sometimes they have um, systemic conditions and you're gonna have a uterine inertia so the uterus does not contract. Um, on occasion, you could have a mare where the uterine, the, which actually the uterus, um, twists. So, and that can happen and it's very difficult to predict. And so if the uterus twists, then the mare will not be able to deliver the fall. And on occasion, you may have mares that have fractures of the pelvis. And if that occurs, um, you know, that will make, uh, you know, the birth difficult. This is the maternal side. The fetal side, um, as you know, the foals are, have a long neck, they have long legs, and if they don't align properly, things can go wrong. On occasion, they could be oversized, they could be malformed, and I don't think this was the case. Uh, twins would be certainly a problem. So in general, again, it's only 1% of the cases, and uh, if um, you take the pelvic fractures out of the picture, um, I will probably not breed this mare to the same stallion, <laughs> um, but um, it's very difficult to predict that this mare will gonna have another dystocia uh, period. Okay. Dr. Gradil, we've talked quite a bit about the signs that a foal is healthy after being born, but what about the mare? How can we tell that she is okay after she's given birth, and are there any clinical signs we should be looking for that she could be in distress after, after foaling? Well, again, um, when the, the foal nurses, there's oxytocin being released, and that's a help to try to release the placenta, so that's good. So some mares um, may be a little colicky just after um, the, um, the birth because the oxytocin is floating around and the uterus is contracting. So if you have your veterinarian look into this mare and what he will do or she will do would be basically examine that uterus to make sure there is no tears and everything looks normal there. So that's kind of, I encourage, you know, as being a, a postpartum exam, uh, to make sure that everything is in place and there's um, no problems with that. So that's something that I recommend. Okay. Some other problems that are are not very common that we see in the mare would be if they have uh, excessive hemorrhage at their uterine arteries uh, when they've given birth. And this, uh, I know that Dr. Cordell, you've treated uh, several of these cases with me, and uh, they can be kind of touch and go as well. 
depending on how much hemorrhage they have. And, yeah, and, and they will have hematomas on the, on the so-called the broad ligament, and if yeah. the hematomas are contained in the broad ligament, this mare, you know, is painful and she will survive. But um, if these hematomas are not contained, you know, this mare just can die suddenly, you know, of hemorrhage. Uh, that's 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 something can happen. Okay, and so we've just talked about some of the really scary stuff around <laughs> around falling. And that leads me to a question that is from Margaret in New York. And Dr. Parody, I'm going to give this question to you. Margaret wants to know, as a vet, how strongly do you feel about being present when a client's mare is falling, it's considering that the mare is at low risk for problems? There's uh, certainly are... Uh, the normal mares are generally a, a low risk for having problems, but there are mares that we will uh, will label as high risk, and these would be mares who've had problems in the past or had pro- had problems in this pregnancy. So those mares should absolutely be attended by a uh, a veterinarian for high risk mare. If she's a low risk mare, um, I what I prefer when I was in practice, but I had a small practice area so I could be in any farm fairly quickly was that the the owner watched diligently and then when the mare went into second stage labor so they are actively contracted and they broke in the water that they'd give me a call and that I would be on my way and most of the time I'd get there and the foal would be fine and normal but occasionally the foal was not out by the time I got there, so that would be over the 30-minute uh, timeline that Dr. Cradill mentioned. And it was good that I was there and they weren't just calling me to come. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'd say for most low-risk, as long as you have a good relationship with your veterinarian and you can uh, uh, feel what the best thing would be for you, that would be... Uh, fine, but I'd say certainly if you have a high-risk mare, definitely should be attended by a veterinarian. Uh, it sounds to me like you didn't get much sleep in the springtime when you were in private. <laughs> no, it was a busy season, but there's nothing better than to come and see a newborn foal. Oh, I, nothing I, better. So it may I, be hard to get out of bed, but once you're there, you're very happy. <laughs> Dr. Gradil, we have a second part to Margaret's question, and you've touched on this already with the dystocia, but she wants to know if a mare has had a abortion or dystocia in the past, does that make her likely to have that happen again? And does that put her in that high-risk category where you would want to be present for for the foaling? Yes, I actually will distinguish between an abortion versus dystocia. Like an abortion, you know, if she's current on vaccines, then, you know, it's unlikely that uh, even though the vaccines are not 100% effective, that, you know, would not be um, an infectious abortion. Now, the other thing about abortion is that sometimes some mares, they may have um, basically a changes on the endometrium. So the uterus gets changed as the mare ages. And for that, if you want to predict the mare will, um, will be able to deliver a fall with certain warranty, then you need to do a biopsy. And with this biopsy, we can kind of predict, you know, what would be the probability that this mare will carry a fault term, depend upon if there's uh, changes in the metrium, if they're absent, mild, moderate, or severe, you can go from a scale of 80% to about 10%. So that's about 
the abortion. The distortion, you know, as I talked previously, if a mare has a narrow pelvis or any structure, any any fractures or even a luck, uh, luxation of the sacroiliac joint, those are contributing factors on the maternal side for dystocias. Okay. Thank you. And you know, we have a question that's come in from our live audience, and it's from Monica in Nebraska. And Monica has a 17-year-old maiden mare who is due for her first foal here in the middle of March. And she wants to know if there's any special precautions she should make or things she should look for that might be indicating problems as the mare gets closer to her due date. Uh, Dr. Gradil, do you have any recommendations on an older mare having her first kid? And she's seven, the first kid, the maiden mare. Well, um, <laughs> I have been successful breeding mares up to date, 21, 22, 23, but these are mares that actually, you know, um, have had falls basically every year or every other year. So having uh, a mare that is maiden, I mean, there's always the risk. It doesn't mean that she will not be able to deliver um, a fall without any any consequences. But in a case like that, I would monitor this mare closely and especially, you know, look for when she starts begging up. Um, and if she goes into labor, you know, uh, we already talked about the timetable on what should be happen. And then if you feel that this mare is not making progress, then you should call help. Um, okay. Um, and then we have a question from Tom in Louisiana, and this is another live question. Um, and Dr. Parody, I'll give this to you. If a mare has had some rain rot on her, during the last, the uh-huh. couple of weeks before she's giving birth, are there any treatments that might be harmful to the foal uh, in utero? Do you have any uh, recommendations? Uh, generally, when I'm treating rain rot, the main things I'm doing are uh, keeping the mare uh, clean uh, with some uh, disinfectant shampoos, uh, grooming her uh, with clean brushes, and generally that simple treatment should help to uh, heal the rain rot, and and they shouldn't have any effect on the ch- on the foal at all. Okay, we have a question here for Dr. Gradil. Uh, it came in from Cheryl, um, and this is a donkey question. And I love the donkey questions. We we always get really <laughs> great donkey questions, and. Uh, Cheryl's in San Antonio, Texas, and she just rescued two donkeys, and she didn't know when she rescued them that both of them were pregnant. And so she wants to try to figure out when they're due. She thinks they're at least seven months along, and this is very new to her. How can she tell the due dates? Are donkeys similar to horses in their gestation period? Uh, what what does she need to know about donkeys? And Dr. Gradil, since you help zoos, with their um, their animals giving birth, I'm hoping you can help us with some donkeys. Yes. Um, well, they are two, and uh, it would be nice if they um, uh, fall at the same time, but I don't think they will. But um, the gestation length in donkeys is actually one more month than in horses. Horses are 11 months. Um, donkeys are 12, but they can have a range anywhere from 11 to 14 months. So that's and it's normal. So usually uh, donkeys that uh, are about to um, fall, they they usually have kind of a begging for three or, f- or six weeks uh, before due date. Some may have changes in behavior. Some may go off feed. Um, and uh, 
Uh, on occasion, and again, most likely they're not, they will have waxing in the last 24 hours. And they have um, the muscles on the back, on the tail head, they become very slack. And some people on the donkey world actually, um, th those are variables that can vary. That They look at when the belly uh, points, uh, it's, they have a pointy belly because during gestation, the, the fall is basically like a, a ball <laughs> inside. And then they were, when they prepare to be born, they basically like sitting like a sitting dog. So the, the back sits right lower on the abdomen. And so some people find that, you know, when they have this angular abdomen, that that's kind of a prediction that uh, falling is imminent. Of course, you can monitor, you know, the quality of the colostrum, and then when it becomes a little whitish. Um, unfortunately, there are no really biometrics uh, to measure the orbital or the aorta or um, even the Doppler of the uterine artery. So uh, you just have to be patient, especially if they go up to 14 months <laughs> of gestation, which they could. That's a long wait. <laughs> yes, you have to be patient. Multiply by two. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Parody, are we looking for the same things in, in a newborn donkey that we're looking for in a newborn horse? Yes, I'd absolutely uh, use the same timetable. Uh, you might find, uh, it's interesting, uh, the smaller horses, say ponies or minis and, and perhaps donkeys as well, uh, actually uh, are standing sooner than some of the gangly thoroughbreds or standardbreds. So uh, they should definitely stand within 60 minutes, but you might see them coming standing within 30 minutes. So they might do things a, a little faster than a, a larger horse. Okay. Um, so we have our next question is for Dr. Gradil, and it's from Desiree in North Dakota. And she's asking about a mare who's just given birth. The foal is out, but the sac or the placenta didn't break, how long do you have before the foal is in trouble? Okay. Well, the, the foal is within, there's two double bags. So one bag is called Alontochorius. And if that, you see a client see a bag out and is red, um, what this client needs to do is to have a, either with the nails or with a blunt object to rupture that membrane right away because otherwise the placenta is detaching and this fall will be asphyxiated. So if this is a red bag, now it could be that she's referring to the fall being born and this whitish membrane, which is the amniel, and uh, most of the times this fall is able to you know, um, shake and basically um, break this uh, amnio is not as sick as the allantor. So if that does not happen, of course, you know, you should not wait and try to open that and make sure the, the nose is clear of mucus and secretions. Okay. So it's important to get those little tiny nostrils out there where they can breathe. Absolutely. Okay. Um, our next question is from um, Sandra in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we got several questions about imprinting foals and allowing the mare to enfold a bond. And we have several questions that have come in from our live audience on this subject as well. Um, Dr. Parody, what is your opinion on allowing the mare to bond with the foal prior to humans trying to imprint um, that, that newborn? She's saying that she's heard conflicting opinions 
on imprinting and handling baby. Yeah, there, there, there is uh, some controversy surrounding imprinting versus non-imprinting, and uh, in the normal process of things, it's best if you can leave the mare in foal to develop their bond uh, for at least 24 hours. Most of the cases that I deal with are foals who are in the hospital because they're at high risk, and so those foals need to have attention right away. And certainly we're uh, in the birth process, we're, we're in there with uh, after the foal's born to treat the umbilicus and make sure that their heart rate and, and respiratory rate are normal. Um, but then we back off and we let them uh, uh, let the foal stand, let the foal nurse, let the mare lick the baby, and we try not to intervene uh, much at all. And uh, usually that works quite well. But I will tell you, my own foal was born. I did uh, imprinting on it. And whether it helped or not, I don't know, but it didn't seem to harm him. So uh, it's just a matter of preference, and I think that either way can work for you. Okay. Dr. Gradil, do you have any comments? I, I, when it comes to imprinting, I, <laughs> I just usually go what Dr. Mary Rose Perdi says. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, like, I like Mother Nature to follow its course, but I know there's... Again, a lot of people that have different opinions uh, want to intervene, and uh, they will become better horses. And I, I just, I, I, I think mom, mom, you know, should, you know, take the priority on on on, on educating this fall. But that's how I have to say. Okay, Dr. Gradil, we have a question that's come in from our live audience. It's from Ken in Massachusetts, and Ken is going back to before our baby is born, and he wants to know what are the signs that the mare is ready to foal. What are we looking for in those days prior to foaling? Okay, it's important if you have the ovulation and breeding dates, but if you don't have, again, usually mares bag. there's the bagging the other develops anywhere from three to six weeks uh, before um, um, they the due date. Um, they basically um, they the, the the tail ligaments become very um, very uh, pliable, and um, basically she may have um, within six to forty eight hours a waxing, which is basically the colostrum for, forms the little bubbles on on the on the, on the tips of the teeth, and um, and so those are basically the most. I mean, if if he has uh, access um, to the possibility that he could test the content of the calcium. Uh, there are like uh, there there are kind of strips for hardness that you can test and you can predict you know within three days when this fall is to be born just by these uh, milking strips um, by every day you know checking for the content on calcium and it's very inexpensive and it's very helpful. And are there any other tools that horse owners can use if they want to be high tech? To- <laughs> to see when well, they're there. What, what I found very useful is that, and we have here at UMass, um, for $20, and I'm not advertising anybody, you could put the webcam 
um, on this um, stall, if or, or even on a pasture. <laughs> and this webcam is um, there's a you know program out there is called Mare Stare, and there's the webcam and this you know there's quite a bit of people uh, watching these mares, and if there's a number in there, you have all these um, you know full watchers for free um, in Russia or in Northern California that they sometimes are not asleep and they just call in and say, look, your mare is start acting up, so wake up. Um, <laughs> so that may be a good way to do it, <laughs> and we find it quite useful. Maybe a way to get a little bit more sleep <laughs> while you're <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> eating. They also have uh, different devices. Uh, we use a full alert, which is um, uh, a little transmitter that you sew to the outside of the vulva lips of the mare. Mm-hmm. And as the full uh, passes through those lips, uh, it will break the connection and send a signal to either uh, your phone or a beeper or a transmitter that uh, sends an alarm so you know that at least the foal is starting to come through the uh, birth canal and, and the vulva. And uh, so that can also uh, uh, alert you. Uh, unfortunately, if the foal is a dystocia and not coming through and the mare's in label, you wouldn't... Uh, wouldn't get a, a beep. So in a normal falling, yeah. it's, a, it's a good way to work. Yeah, as a, as a part of my residency at Cornell, I, that was part of the package. You would have, um, you know, this fall alert that I had to put in, and it was uh, connected to a dialer, and the dialer will dial my, my pager, and I knew <laughs> I would get in 80% of the cases I would get that. So I, I do like those, but I, I do have some memories about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I know several interns at vet clinics that, and that saves them a little bit of sleep. <laughs> waiting for those those mayors to fall. Um, We have a question for Dr. Parody from Anne in Lewistown, Montana, and this is a behavior question. And Anne wants to know, at what age is the foal ready to go out with the herd? So when can you take mom and baby and put them out with the other horses? Do you have any recommendations? Well, it, it kind of depends a little bit on your situation. So if the mayor has been with that herd all along uh, during her pregnancy and and uh, they're all friends and know each other, then probably uh, you could probably start to think about introducing the foal at 24 to 48 mm-hmm. hours. If they're strangers, then I definitely wouldn't do that. I would probably introduce them over a fence, see what kind of behavior they might have towards them. You want to make sure that nobody's going to be aggressive towards the foal. So, I would probably err on the side of caution if they're strangers and be a little more comfortable if they were uh, uh, familiar with each other. Also, mare's behavior, the mom's behavior will change when the foal's born, so some of them may become very protective of their babies, and so uh, the dynamics might change in the herd. So it's just something to be cautious about. But I think a foal should, if the weather's nice and it's not two feet of snow on the ground when the foal is born, getting them outside uh, in a small paddock is uh, a good thing with, you know, at 24 to 48 hours of age. uh, It helps with their coordination and their movement and uh, their development. And Anne has a second part of her question, and she's asking if there's any difference between turning the mare and foal out with 
other mares versus geldings. And I know from my experience, geldings are the funniest <laughs> in their reaction to the babies. <laughs> uh, do you have any reservations turning uh, turning mom and baby out in mixed herds? Uh, I, I don't, as, again, as long as they're, they already have a, kind of a fold, you know, a horse dynamic and they uh, know each other and seem to be compatible. And so, uh, so I, I don't think I would worry about a mare and a gelding. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's entertaining if nothing else. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> um, we have another question, um, and this is going to Dr. Uh, Gradil um, to start with. And Dr. Parody, you might have some comments as well. Um, but the question is from Kelly in Colorado, and she wants to know if a foal needs creep feed. Um, and if so, when is that appropriate to offer to baby? Dr. Gradil, do you have some thoughts on that? Yes, I do. Um, when when it comes to creep feed, and, and Dr. Perodi probably will comment on this, I mean, um, it's my observation that um, if, if you provide, um, you know, there's there's this condition called osteochondritis dissecans, and which is basically a failure of the cartilage to mature normally, and it's associated with there's some genetic predisposition, and and is correlated with high sugars and and starch in the diet. So, if I were to have creep feed, I would make sure it would be balanced, uh, with low glycemic um, intake, you know, high energy, but um, would have coming from fat and fiber. So that's that's kind of what I would suggest, you know, because I know some people are very aggressive and they overfeed these horses and they may end up, they grow very fast and they may end up with, you know, some problems um, on these growth plates. And I don't know what uh, Dr. Paradis uh, experience on this, but I have had experience that uh, this has been the case. And yeah. again, depends on the breeds and I don't want to go into those <laughs> right now. There's some research yeah. from Kentucky on thoroughbreds and so forth. Uh, I agree. I, I, to me, uh, the foal actually doesn't have the enzymes to digest uh, most of the grains that uh, are fed to our adult horses until they're about three to four months of age. And if the mare is producing milk uh, and the foal is gaining weight, and a foal should gain, uh, let's say your average 100-pound baby should gain uh, two to three pounds a day, so that they almost double their weight in their first month of life. Um, they they should be doing that on mare's milk because they had the enzymes to digest that. So I would allow the foal to mingle with its mother and, and uh, eat her her grain, uh, peck at their grain, or, or eat their hay. And they certainly will start to investigate hay the very first day of life even. You'll see them with little hay hanging out of their mouth. They just can't digest it yet. So I wouldn't feed a foal uh, until you were towards weeding, and that would be, uh, I may even start with milk pellets, uh, which are the same type of, uh, and need the same enzyme as regular milk, and then maybe start adding some grain. But just let them eat from mom, unless she's very food aggressive. Uh, most moms will let their foals share their feed and, I, I don't think they need anything beyond that if the mare is a good milker. Okay. We have another nutrition-related question that has come in from the live audience. Uh, Kelly in Colorado wants to know if a mare needs any special vitamin supplements to give the foal 
its necessary nutrition? And if so, what recommendations do you have? And then when should you stop those supplements as the baby grows? Uh, do either one of you want to take that question? I, I can start with it if you want. Um, the, the problem might be if you are in a vitamin E selenium deficient area where your hays and grains may be low in those. And uh, certainly in the Northeast, we, we have that problem. And so a pregnant mare may, uh, may help her to be placed on a vitamin E selenium supplement uh, in her feed. And a lot of the feeds are already supplemented with that. In this area, uh, and particularly with if you're thinking about donkeys, uh, if the foal is born uh, with a deficiency, they can get a severe muscle problem. And so many vets will actually give an injection to the foals of vitamin E selenium in the first week of life uh, to help prevent that. So it just depends on the area and the quality of your your um, uh, forage that uh, is grown in your area. But vitamin E and selenium are probably the ones that are the most commonly supplemented. We in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm located, have the same kind of issue with deficiencies. But is there any concern for toxicity on the other end if 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 the horses get too much? Uh, certainly selenium can be toxic to horses. And so you don't want to overdo that. Okay. Uh, you want to read the labels and make sure that you stay within the guidelines of the of the product you're using. Okay. And Dr. Gradil, do you have any recommendations? Is it like with women needing to take prenatal vitamins? Do our mares need prenatal vitamins as well? Like the, the approach we have here, just Dr. Perodi suggested, I mean, we, we make sure that, you know, we have a well-balanced diet and uh, are adequate for the geographical area. And, and again, um, I have injected um, uh, vitamin and selenium in, in some foals. And, uh, but other than that, if they, you know, have a balanced diet, access to a salt block, I mean, I think that's, that's plenty. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go to another question that we have from our live audience, and it's from Julia in North Carolina. And Julia has a 14-year-old thoroughbred mare who's had several foals with no complications. However, she's retained the placenta during the last two years. She's due in April this year. Dr. Gradil, do you have any suggestions to help prevent the mare from retaining the placenta? And if she does retain the placenta, what recommendations do you have? Hmm, that's a tough one. I mean, uh, it's very difficult to predict if a mare will be retained. But what, what breed is she, is this mare, do you know? It was a thoroughbred. A thoroughbred, okay. Um, I... I mean, it's very difficult if, if a mare would repeat, you know, re- repeatedly will, will retain the placenta. I mean, so if she does retain the placenta, um, my suggestion would be uh, to make sure. If, by definition, a retained placenta is a placenta that is any time after three hours, then this mare needs to be on basically on, on oxytocin. And then after eight hours, it has to be a more aggressive treatment, which will include some oxytocin and lavage of the uterus. And, of course, as the placenta is passed, you know, they, we already talked about, you know, putting a knot on this placenta so, so she doesn't basically step on. But as far as, you know, coming up with the strategies to uh, minimize the risk that she will <laughs> retain 
uh, the placenta. Usually horses that have abortions uh, or they have early um, parturitions, those are the ones they have the tendency to have this retained placenta. Okay. Um, I have a question that I'm going to give to Dr. Parody, and I just want to let everyone know that we're down to five minutes left in our hour program. Um, but I want to make sure to get to a couple more of these. If you have any last-minute questions to ask out there, live audience, go ahead and send those in now, and we'll see what we can sneak in here as we get down to the wire. Um, but Dr. Parody, we have a question from Ellen in New Jersey, and Ellen is concerned that her mare will be so protective of her foal that she will not allow uh, Ellen to get near the baby. How do you deal with those mares who are super protective of their new foals? Okay. Uh, actually, being prote- protective is actually a good thing. Uh, it means the mare uh, likes her baby and she's going to try to keep it from harm. Though it does interfere with sometimes us getting in there. And if the baby needs help, that's definitely uh, important that we intervene. So I would say if the mare's, if the foal is looking pretty normal, uh, you're probably... As soon as the foal is born, you can probably go in and check if the mare is laying down and just keep a low profile as you go in so you're not threatening. Talk to the mare um, and uh, make sure you can dip the umbilicus and check the foal and then then back out. Always, whenever I go into a stall with a mare and foal, I acknowledge the mare first. So I don't go straight to her foal. I acknowledge the mare first and talk to her if she won't let me catch her, uh, then you want to try things like enticing her with green. Once you have a a lead shank on her, then you can have someone hold her while you check her foal. Uh, If the mare is becoming aggressive towards you, then tranquilization of the mare may be necessary. Now, there's a difference between the mare being protective of her foal and the mare being aggressive towards her foal. So, uh, you need to make sure that she's not an aggressive mare. She hasn't actually hurt her foal. And, it, you know, if a mare who's protecting her foal may actually kind of run over her foal to to get between you and her foal. So that's not so much aggressive. That's protection. So it can be a little bit hard sometimes to to tell for sure. So watch very carefully the behavior. Uh, if the mare ever actually grabs the foal and picks it up, then that's aggression. And if she kicks at the foal, that's aggression. And in, when that happens, the foal and mirror should be separated. Okay. But if it's purely protection, then um, uh, trying to work with the mirror first, uh, secondly, going to things like sedation uh, until she gets used to you being around her foal. Yeah. And six months later, she won't be nearly as protective of that fall. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's usually the first month, uh, first week that uh, you see that they have their most protectiveness, and then they get used to people. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Parody, we have a question that's um, the opposite end of the spectrum, and that's the mayor who is rejecting her foal. Stephanie in Illinois wants to know if there are any ways to ensure that a maiden mare will accept her first foal. She says, we foaled two maiden mares last year and both mares violently rejected their foals and we ended up with two orphans. How do we prevent this from happening with maidens in the future? Do you have any Uh, recommendations? 
that that's a tough one uh, to think of that the two in a year is is uh most mares are not naturally aggressive towards their foals and and won't reject them maiden mares are probably the ones that are most likely to have problems with their foal but it's usually a fear-based problem so they're not quite sure what this little thing in their stall is and so in those mares uh again uh working with the mare and and protecting the foal by uh if she won't let the foal nurse have someone hold the mare while you lead the foal up to her calm her stroke her uh feed her do whatever you can to make this all a very pleasant uh uh environment and if again she still rejects the foal then uh things you should check also is to see if she has something that's causing pain when the foal nurses so does she have mastitis or uh, or an infection of the udder because that might be a source of rejecting the foal as well. But mainly try to make it all a, a very happy environment and calm her down. It's mostly fear-based in the maiden mare. Okay. And we are right at time, but I'm going to sneak in two more questions um, <laughs> from our live audience because uh, I can't help myself. Um, Dr. Uh, Gradil, we have a question from Karen who's listening live, and she's in New Ham- Hampshire, and she purchased a thoroughbred mare. I'm assuming the mare is pregnant um, from auction. And she wants to know if there is an easy way to determine if the mare has a Catholic procedure done or had had that done. Can you explain what that is and how she would be able to tell? Yes, Keslick is actually a name of the individual from Cornell, um, Dr. Keslick, and it's actually a vulvoplasty, and it's basically to narrow um, the uh, dorsal chemisure of the, the vulva so it does not get contaminated. So basically what um, what this this um, client could do or this uh, owner could do is basically to see how wide this uh, um, vulva is. I mean, if it's more than five, it's less than five centimeters, there's obviously a Kazakh in there. And sometimes you actually can see the sutures, uh, can see the suture marking. So she puts the finger, you know, above the pelvic floor and she pulls out, she should be able to see that if indeed that thing is, is very artificial. Okay. And, and then she needs to suture that, suture that, uh, to, to actually open that <laughs> two weeks before due date because otherwise they call tremendous damage. So she needs to pay attention to that two weeks before due date. If she has a Catholic, she needs to cut it. Okay. So it's important if you get a mare that you don't know her history uh, and she's pregnant to, to check for that. Right. I, uh, if I could add, uh, uh, she probably doesn't need to cut it. She should get her veterinarian to cut it because uh, she could get kicked if she doesn't have the right <laughs> yeah. anesthesia yeah. in the vulva when she puts scissors yeah. to it. <laughs> I just probably. take things for granted as an obstetrician. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Kayla in the live audience. She's in Missouri, and she wants to know what could cause a foal's bladder to tear during the birthing process. She had this experience. The foaling went fine, but this was the end result. Do either one of you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I could. Uh, I, I can answer that. Probably, yeah. 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 Uh, we see some foals who actually, uh, it, it can tear, I, I think it can tear at the birth process because the bladder may be full 
and as a, a foal comes through, the uterine contractions can squeeze on the bladder and maybe uh, it, uh, the urethra is blocked and so it can rupture. But also I have seen that foals are born with an intact bladder, but there must have been some bruising around the bladder during the birth process because about four to five days after birth is when we start to see the signs of a ruptured bladder. And I've had foals that I know had a totally normal bladder at two and three days and have ruptured at four and five. So something weakens the wall of the bladder, uh, and it could be some old bruising that happened during the, the birth process or, uh, or an actual uh, rupture at the birth process. Okay. And Dr. Gradell, did you have anything to add? No, it's a complete. I just have one comment regarding that previous question on retained placenta, and I believe that thoroughbred was from this uh, from North Carolina, and they may have um, um, pastures contaminated with fescue, and mm. fescue will basically make the placenta thicken. And of course, if that's the case, this this owner needs to have the pastures checked for that. So that will be, you know, one possibility why this man had two, you know, um, two times in a row retained placenta. Okay, and that was Julia's question from North Carolina, yes. from our live yes, audience. Yes. So that would be fescue toxicosis? Toxicity, yes. Toxicity. Uh, it's an that basically um, mares may have abortions or have a sick, a sick placenta. And so maybe I would check the pastures for that, for sure. Okay, well, thank you for going back and clarifying that for Julia. Um, we unfortunately are out of time. I could talk about baby horses with the two of you all night. <laughs> Um, but I know that it's late where you're at. Uh, I want to thank you guys so much. It's been a great conversation, and you both have had some great insight from both the mayor's birthing perspective and then also that newborn foal. So thank you so much. Um, do you, uh, Dr. Gradil, we'll start with you. Do you have any last words of wisdom or advice to everyone who is waiting for their mares to foal? Yes, I mean, I do. If, if you have a mare to fall and if you're familiar with the process, I mean, uh, most likely things will go right. But if you're not familiar, then uh, my advice will have to, you know, suggest that you have the mare fall out in, in a situation where if the mare needs help, she can get help very quickly. Because uh, falling in mares is a very, um, it's, if it doesn't go right, it's, it's, it's basically very explosive and it's usually an emergency and there's not much time. Okay, thank you. And Dr. Parody, do you have any last words? Um, my last words were, would be to strictly follow that timeline okay. and make sure that foal gets it up and nurses by 90 minutes. Uh, this is essential for them to have a uh, normal, healthy uh, uh, first week of life. And uh, if they don't follow it, make sure that uh, you call your vet to get the colostrum in them. Okay, and I want to let everyone who's listening know that if you go to thehorse.com, go under special reports, fact sheets, we have fact sheets that outline that timeline that you're talking about for foaling, as well as um, a fact sheet about failure of passive transfer. So some great information for people if they want to have that in their binder close at hand uh, when mama is having her baby. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in live tonight. And thank you to everyone who will listen in the future to our archive version. We appreciate your questions that you sent in before the show and then also live. Um, 
I want to thank exclusively equine.com for sponsoring the event so that it came to everyone for free tonight. If you want to listen to this audio again, if there's anything that you want to hear again, uh, it will be archived on thehorse.com under podcasts, and you should find that tomorrow, Friday, um, on, on the site. If you have any other questions um, about foaling, get on thehorse.com, search in that search bar for foaling. We have thousands of articles and fact sheets and videos and a podcast that can help you out. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, doctors, for joining us. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And uh, good night and happy foaling. (laughs) Good night. Good night.